My name is Tony Wynn, and this is the Remotely Software Podcast, where I interview remote software developers to discover how they and their team work effectively from different locations. This week, I talked with Drew Bissett, a remote software developer working out of Lexington, Virginia. We discuss dealing with isolation, creating boundaries, remote leadership, crafting a culture of learning, and remote hiring. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Are you sitting in front of a desk right now? Uh, I'm standing in front of a desk. Can you describe to me what is on your desk right now? Uh, a lot more clutter than I would prefer, but uh, you know, it's a continuous improvement, right? Um, <laughs> I've got a uh, laptop, uh, MacBook Pro, um, that is connected to a uh, large Dell monitor, 4K, and a keyboard, mouse, wrist sort of support device thingy, um, and then a notebook and uh, some pens and miscellaneous other things that, again, should probably find a home. Nice. Is your external monitor, is this your first external monitor, or did you make the move from a lower resolution monitor to a 4K at some point? Uh, so it's actually the uh, the monitor that I have provided uh, by my company, uh, so I kind of outsourced that problem. Sweet. I, I probably should care more about these things, but you know I, I tend to kind of just go with what works. And I've used all types of different external monitors in the past. I, I do kind of prefer those to you know just having a, a laptop on the desk. Um, mm-hmm. I just really like to have the real estate. You know, there's there's just something about having the ergonomics of, of being able to kind of adjust my you know what I what I'm looking at versus what I'm typing on. And so definitely throughout the places that I've worked in the past where I've been remote, um, having a, an external display has been pretty much a, a necessity for me. Have you noticed much of a difference at being uh, 4K? Do you bump things down smaller than you would otherwise? Or is it just crisp and pleasant? It's crisp and pleasant. Um, I, I've definitely, right now, I've got uh, the resolution, you know, at a pretty fine point. And so it's nice, uh, particularly when looking at code, um, to really just have a ton of real estate and be able to kind of just see lots of, of what there is to be consumed uh, without having to navigate around a lot. Um, so I definitely like that. But, you know, there's also kind of a, just a, a visual aesthetic to it that, uh, you know, when you're staring at these things for eight hours a day, it makes a difference. <laughs> totally. Is your desk a sit-stand kind of adjustable deal or are you, are you up on your feet all day? It is adjustable. I started uh, with a completely makeshift uh, standing desk uh, when I first went remote. and um, Center blocks and two by four? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It wasn't far off from that. And it was nice, but I found that you can't stand all the time, or at least I can't. So I, I invested uh, about a year into to being remote um, into an adjustable. Uh, and I, and I, I love it. Um, the, the one downside is that it, it makes it really easy to just sit at my desk all the time because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll stand tomorrow, you know? It's, it's just a button, you know, that I have to press. But nice. I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional and add, add some discipline to, to form better habits. I feel like they should make a sit-stand desk where in order to raise it up, it's just a button, but you've got to crank it down manually. <laughs> that's a great so you've idea. Got to, you've got to work for your sitting time. Yes, I think that's good. <laughs> How much of your 
of your day would you say you're sitting versus standing? More than I would like. Um, so like I said, I'm trying to you know, build better habits, but I, I feel like I've got a ways to go. Um, I'd say right now it's it's more of like a, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, I'm going to stand today and, and then I'll stand and I'll, I'll pretty much go for a good three or four hours. Uh, one of the things that I also got was, I think Ergo Driven makes these things. It's like a little pad that you can stand on that has, you know, sort of a contour to it. And so you can kind of just move around. And I found that was one of the things that I noticed early on with standing was that I really was putting a, a ton of strain on particular parts of my feet muscles and Mm-hmm. having contour that I can kind of shift my weight around to has, has really helped my ability to go longer um, in a standing position. But yeah, it's a little kind of haphazard right now. So it'll be like, you know, I'm going to stand today and then I'll stand for most of the day. And then, you know, I'll start and sit and uh, maybe get up um, when I'm feeling cloudy. I, I've noticed that if I am just having a hard time getting that spark uh, of motivation or, or just feeling sluggish um, that sometimes standing does really make a difference and helps me break out of that. So um, mm. those types of things will also help me break out of my laziness and get the blood flowing. Do you notice the reverse? If you're standing for too long, are you tired and therefore unable to solve the problem and sitting is, is helpful? It's just a reset, kind of like going for a walk, but just down a foot. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I, I think, again, it's it's more often than not that I notice myself sitting and, and feeling like, oh, you know, maybe I should try standing now than the reverse. You know, one of the things that I've noticed that's really been important in being remote is having the ability to kind of change my environments based on kind of what's going on. And so there are certain certain times where it might make sense for me to, you know, actually unplug the laptop and, you know, go sit outside. Um, I've tried to be a little bit more, you know, give myself that liberty to be curious, I guess, and experiment and try to listen to when the things that I'm putting out there, um, you know, whether it be struggling with a, a problem or having a hard time getting focused try to listen to those things and and use them as cues to to maybe switching up the environment a little bit. That's awesome. So you said you've been standing for about a year. How long have you been doing remote work? Uh, For a little over three years now. Gotcha. And tell me a little bit about that transition from going. I'm assuming you were going into an office, had a commute kind of thing. I was, yeah. Was anything unexpected in that transition? Um, Was it all positive or their <laughs> negative aspects. How was that transition for you? Yeah, it was an interesting transition. There were uh, positive things and negative things that I discovered along the way. Um, you know, I think the positive things uh, for me in particular, you know, I just commuting and, and spending, you know, my life, significant periods of my life just in the process of getting to and from work really drained on me. Taking that out of the equation, you know, made a huge difference. I mean, I'm I'm not really a, a morning-oriented por- person. And so, like, <laughs> it was sometimes hard, you know, to have to, like, get up really early and spend, an, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of that time just in getting to where I needed to have, you know, myself in a seat. 
Um, and so having the the flexibility to be like, hey, I kind of need to sleep in until 930 today and still have 30 minutes to have a morning ritual before, you know, 10 o'clock rolled around and, and I sign on, um, you know, made a huge difference for me. I think negatives uh, or at least things that I didn't expect going into uh, the whole thing that that stood out as important, you know, things to think about and consider, you know, first off environment. I talked about that a little bit. When mm-hmm. I first started remote, my office space was in my bedroom and, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't really think, you know, twice about it, uh, at the time. Um, but looking back on it, I really think that spending a significant amount of time in the space that was also supposed to be a space that like, I kind of decompressed at the end of my day and that I should, you know, be seeking rest and peace through. I don't feel like I got the most out of what a bedroom had to offer when it had to share work, you know, as part of the ambiance. And I noticed that in particular when I later on had the opportunity to live in a space where there was more separation. Um, And I really just found that like I was happier. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that I was happier at work. I was happier outside of work. Um, and so, yeah, I think the environment piece of it, I really didn't appreciate when I started out. You know, I think the other thing that, and I think this probably cuts more down the center for a lot of folks is just, you realize very quickly how much of your social fabric is made up or kind of, you know, influenced by work. Right. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, I, I was single and, uh, living by myself. And so there would be sometimes like days that would go by where, you know, the only person that I would interact with physically was like a barista that I would, you know, go and get coffee from in the morning. Yeah, I think that remote is something that I am so passionate about. Um, it's really changed my life. But it's also forced me to take a lot more initiative um, in creating things in my environment, creating things in my life that we kind of don't think about when we clock in at some you know office somewhere where we get a lot of these things for free. Mm-hmm. Were there things that specifically that you were more intentional about to be around other people? Like, did you notice that within the first few months and then we're, we're trying different options for it? Or was it just kind of a gradual realization as you kind of got out of that situation? How did that work as far as the, the kind of isolated yeah. uh, bit? It's a good question. I, I think it really kind of came about more gradually. I kind of feel like I could have saved myself a lot of um, friction, um, mental friction if I had come to, to a revelation earlier. So yeah, I think it was more gradual and a lot of it was just kind of, uh, you, you kind of in life, you put one foot in front of the other and eventually you take enough steps to reach a destination where you look back and it all makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, uh, that's a lot more of what it was. I mean, I think over time, you know, I, I kind of just instinctively like responded to the the fact that it's like oh wait a minute like i haven't seen anybody in three days and this is this is a smell like i should i should try to create some better habits around this right um so but i i think it was later on when when some changes happened in my life that connected me with people more um that i really realize like, oh my gosh, this is the stuff that I've been missing, you know? And it was okay when I kind of got it for free. Like I said, uh, you know, you go into an office and 
you know, you're around people all day and then the day ends and people are going out to the bar and it's, it's awesome, right? And you're getting all the social stimulation. Um, what happens when suddenly that framework is completely taken away and you have to figure out how to recreate it for yourself, you know? Right. So you, you talked about uh, living by yourself, being single, being remote, and kind of the, some of the struggles that came with that. You're also now completely not in that situation. Right? You're in the <laughs> yeah. complete opposite situation. What kinds of uh, boundaries or what has kind of stood out to you as as you trans- transitioned and now uh, you have a significant other, sure. got kids? What now are the things that jump out to you now that your context is kind of drastically shifted? Yeah, you know, this sounds horrible, uh, but I, I think one of the things that comes to mind uh, immediately is uh, installing a lock on the office door. Um, <laughs> and it's it's out of no, dis- you know, like I love being around the kids. I love being around my partner. I think for, for the little ones in particular, it's just like no matter how many times you try to explain to them that like, hey, like this is my office. Like if I'm in here and the door is closed, like, you can't come in. Like, a seven-year-old will never understand that, no matter how many times they say yes. And so, yeah, taking that kind of extra step uh, of just having that control to say, hey, like, if the door is locked, like, that's my signal to you that, like, it's going to have to wait, you know? Mm -hmm. And The recording light's on. Exactly, exactly. So, So that's been one of those things. I mean, you know, in our particular situation, the kids generally, you know, are are out uh, with other members of the family or doing activities or school throughout the day. So generally from the nine to five block, I'm mostly uninterrupted. Um, So it's not as big of an issue, but it is nice. I mean, you see some of those, like in the last year, even you've seen some of these people that have been interviewed on live television from their home offices. <laughs> exactly and, what I was thinking about. You know, you're describing that, I, I'm seeing that guy and I'm like, you forgot to lock the exactly. door. It's like yeah. the most important thing. Or if you don't have a lock, <laughs> install one. Your family, like it's it's not being unkind to your family. It's just setting good boundaries, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's one of them. I think having, you know, this doesn't relate necessarily to having others around and and sharing a space. Um, But for me, you know, having a a dedicated office has been really important. Um, Having that sort of cathartic ability at the end of the day to walk out of a room and close the door and not go back until the next day really helps me keep a a healthy work-life balance and uh, avoid burnout. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, so you've also transitioned over this period of time from living in a large city. You were mm-hmm. you were living in Boston at the time, right? Right outside, um, at yeah. The beginning. Yep. Um, and you're now in kind of rural Virginia or rural-ish mm-hmm. Virginia area. How how much of being able to make that move was being remote? Is it? Are there tech jobs where you're at? No. <laughs> there are there are, there is absolutely no tech community here. Uh, it's. It's one of the things on my bucket list that I I want to change. But, you know, even in changing that, I mean, it's the cities are are where technology kind of has its hubs. And yeah, so, I mean, in terms of being able to even get here, like, there's no way. um, There's no way that I would have been able to make the changes in my life that have 
gone on to be really important for me uh, and my happiness um, if I was tethered to a, you know, a physical office uh, in Boston that um, it's kind of expected me to have some connection uh, to that geographical location. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so I think that that I was very privileged um, to be in a position where that was not a constraint and I mean, you know, moving, you know, out of state is stressful enough. Um, but having to, uh, throw a, a change of your job into that mix, it, it, that's just a lot to take on. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, it's interesting being where I'm at now because I feel like outside of work, I have access to things that are really important, uh, for my happiness, um, being close to nature, being out of a a sort of pace um, that I that I found just brought a lot of anxiety and I don't know just kind of stress to to my life uh, mm-hmm. and so being in an environment that is slower is friendlier is is you know a little bit more localized um, has been really awesome it's been it, friendlier than Boston I, oh, I can't yeah. imagine what you're talking about I know uh, <laughs> it's not hard um, you know it, it starts with a smile is, is really all you need to start with and um, but yeah you know I think that it was interesting for me you know I, I guess it was about a year a year and a half ago or so when the company that I was working for um, started doing some consolidation and there was a lot of weird you know reading between the lines about whether or not remote was still going to be the sort of protected culture that it had been. Uh, And I looked around and I'm like, well, I mean, sure, there are other remote jobs, but, you know, having the sort of, um, you know, market that you're, that I was used to having uh, living in a city, um, it really kind of made me aware that like, Hey, you know, I need to make this remote thing work or otherwise like I could be looking at spending two hours of my life every day commuting just to get to a place where I could maybe be, you know, somewhat close to, to the competitive level that I'm at uh, as a remote engineer. So you've had a a couple of remote jobs now based out of rural Virginia. Is that, is that still something that's kind of in the back of your mind where it's like, if what I'm at right now doesn't work out, like how difficult is it going to be for me to land something out uh, remote? Or since you've done it now, it feels like, okay, like this is a manageable process. Yes, it might it might stink if I were mm-hmm. to have to go through that, but it, it's not maybe as scary as it, as it might seem otherwise. Yeah, I think it's gotten better. Um, I think one of the things that left me feeling particularly exposed was that around the time that, you know, these changes happened at the company that I was at, um, I was in more of a leadership position and, um, I did the math, uh, with, you know, hacker news jobs threads. And, you know, the reality is that there just aren't a lot of leadership positions, you know, for remote workers. Um, and why do you feel feel like that is if you, if you were to to venture? Sure. I think because, you know, leadership is about people. Your currency is people. It's not necessarily computers and software, and or, or at least the ratios are different. Mm-hmm. And I think that, well, I think that at the end of the day, interacting with people in a physical environment is always going to be more powerful than using digital tools to approximate those interactions. Now, 
That isn't to say that you can't have rich uh, relationships and build strong trust, you know, with people without that physical co-location, but just Mm -hmm. that it's harder and it takes a lot more intention, you know, and deliberateness. I think that there is a bit of a truth around that, um, that, you know, relationships by and large um, are easier to cultivate when you have people face-to-face. And I think that there's also just a bias um, still around remote, whether it's leadership or uh, an engineering role or or anything else. Um, When I talk to people about the fact that I'm remote, you know, it's like everyone's reaction is, I could never do that. I would never get anything done. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, no, it's, it's like brushing your teeth, right? I mean, (laughs) you know, if I, if I grew up and like never brushed my teeth, then I could look at you and be like, wait, you brush your teeth every night and every morning? Like, how is this possible? But, you know, like when you build those habits uh, and when you're intentional about these things, you know, you find that like, oh, actually, like, you know, this is this is achievable. And it just takes, you know, again, you don't get a lot of things for free. And so you have to first figure out what those things were that you were getting free to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then you need to figure out how you can approximate uh, with the digital tools uh, that we have at our disposal. You've had a, a fair amount of experience uh, managing people remotely. So you were saying mm-hmm. you were in you were in leadership, and that that maybe seemed a little bit scary from a remote employee able to replace your job kind of standpoint. Right. I'm interested to know what did you find uh, really worked well for managing mm-hmm. people remotely. What kind of things didn't, or or what was surprising about uh, about managing people remotely? Was it was it your first time managing someone? Um, it wasn't my first time, but it was my first time managing uh, software developers. Um, so I, I'd done some leadership before I kind of got involved in doing software, but it, you know I was young at the time, and mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean for all intents and purposes, that was kind of my first real run at that discipline, and so I think. The things that that worked well were, I mean, one thing that comes to mind was just trying out and, you know, sort of standardizing what I kind of think of as like the digital water coolers of your culture, right? So mm-hmm. when you're in an office, you invariably will congregate in places and have spur of the moment conversations that can you know, lead to really interesting ideas or can just build really good camaraderie, right? When you're remote, like you don't have those. And so you need to create them. And so one of the the ones that was kind of created before my time and that I tried to, to uphold, and I think a lot of folks tried to uphold was the idea of like a Friday afternoon happy hour where everybody just gets on a Google Hangout just to shoot the shit. And mm-hmm. I think that the camaraderie, the trust, like the the connection that I saw cultivated because of that ritual actually kind of, I, I think, resulted in a, a team that was stronger and, and, you know, more closely knit than, than anything I'd ever even participated in working out of an office. So I, I think trying to figure out what those things are. Uh, it doesn't have to be sitting in front of your screen drinking beer one of the things that I I also did uh, that I thought really worked well was, you know, looking at cultivating a sort of learning culture and using 
a regular cadence around getting together and learning. And one of the things that I thought uh, was really fun and, and worked well was was uh, mob programming. Um, mm. You know, mm -hmm. because everybody can participate, um, and and the idea is almost that you know there's not one single driver uh, shifts around and. Because of that, you know, it forces conversation. You can't just have somebody, a mob programming smell would be somebody that sits there and just like writes silently for five minutes. And it's like, <laughs> well, I have no idea where you're going with this or, you know, what your your thoughts are. And it's it's really hard to to glean much of value from that. But, you know, if you, you can build a team that's that's comfortable with those sorts of mechanics of, of the driver isn't really the decision maker. They're just the scribe, right? And everybody collectively, the mob is the decision maker, you know, then it, again, you have those, those opportunities to kind of get out of the daily, you know, churn of work um, and then do things that, you know, it's like, oh, whoa, like, I didn't know you could do that in Vim or, you know, oh, that's a, a really cool approach to, you know, structuring this data, like I hadn't really thought of that, but also just the, the feeling of like, oh, these are, these are the people that I work with. And like, invariably, like if you have good folks that are, are on the team, um, that's going to come through in those sorts of moments. Um, so I, I think that those water cooler moments are really important. I think the things that looking back, I would have wanted to do differently is, and, and this is a hard one, but not letting myself get so consumed by real-time chat and by, you know, the sort of asynchronous, you know, communication channels. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. kind of a, a catch-22, right? Because you think like, oh, well, I'm not in an office. And so I, I kind of need those things, right? Like right. I should, I should almost be like, th that should be my life force, Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I really, and I think that this kind of goes beyond this topic and, and, you know, well into just kind of our culture in general right now, they're tools of distraction and they are so expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the context switching that you get, uh, when somebody at hears a channel is, I mean, it's hard to regain that, that flow that you may have been in. Um, and I think that, one of the things that's hard moving into a leadership position in general is taking off that or letting go of that engineering sense of accomplishment that you get when you deliver code and almost kind of sitting back in the driver's seat a little bit and, and taking your hands off the wheel and actually just thinking about where you want to go, right? It's like, how do you measure that? How, where's the catharsis in delivering? Hey, I, I thought about great things today, right? <laughs> And so, but, but I think that that really is where, uh, you know, a leader, a good leader can really add tremendous value to an organization by getting out of the, the, the mindset of like the daily churn and thinking about the long game. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I feel like real-time chat was, was one of those things where it's like, oh, well, you know, if I respond to this thing, then I respond to this thing, I'm leading and I'm, you know, everybody knows that I'm, you know, available and can help them with their problems, but I don't really feel like the needle was moving much. Um, mm -hmm. So. That's really interesting that you bring that up. I'd be interested to know, like, as a manager, were there 
Because you think about like the feeling of I need to to respond to these things quickly. And part of that is like I'm remote. Nobody can see me. I need to be able to be visible. Right. Like right. that. that is kind of your visibility as a remote person. Totally. Yeah. So, but as you kind of say, like that, <laughs> those things will eat up as as much time as you're willing to give them. Like you can yep. make that your your full time job if you want. You sure can. Yeah. I guess my question is, did you have developers that you felt like, man, you're you're just not on the real time chat enough, man. Like, let let's <laughs> let's work on your your real time chat ability. No, at not this at point. all. Yeah, definitely not at all. It was completely <laughs> this this thing inside of me that I that I just had a hard time letting go of because I wasn't I wasn't really thinking, you know, like I wasn't stepping outside of myself and really being conscious of where the time was going and what sort of yields I was getting from that. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you have any kind of tips from, uh, cause there, there's probably organizations, right. That it is a political thing mm -hmm. of an, it, political importance to be on there and visible kind of as much as possible. Do you have any tips or suggestions for being able to m move the culture and maybe a more, a more healthy direction? Like obviously creating some space, to be visible in a water cooler type situation can maybe mm -hmm. alleviate. Alleviate. <laughs> there you go. Uh, some of that pain. But do you have other ideas or have you run run into maybe upper management kind of having bad expectations with stuff like that? You know, I, I mean, I think that in my experience, it's not so much that upper management has bad expectations per se, but just that, again, nobody thinks about it. Um, and, and nobody takes the time to step, you know, step back and be like, hey, you know, like, maybe we should create some constraints around these things. Um, you know, maybe we should lead by example with good habits. I mean, that's the thing, you know, like, if, if I see someone that I report to jumping into a channel and at, you know, awing everyone over something that like, could have been brought up in a, you know, like a, a team huddle or like a, a, an organizational, like all hands or even an email, like, then it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is the behavior, right? Right. But, and again, it's, it, I'm not trying to cast blame. I think that these things have become entrenched in how we operate because they're just everywhere, right? They're ubiquitous. Everybody is on, you go out to a, a restaurant and everybody's got their phone in front of them, you know, and it's like, We've allowed these the dynamism of this technology to kind of take control without taking a moment to think about like, hey, how do we like set good boundaries around these things so that so that they can provide value where they where there's value to be provided, but that they don't right. rob productivity and, and rob creativity from, from people that otherwise have a lot to offer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. So part of management is obviously, or part of managing someone is uh, helping them level up, helping them move along in, in their career. Do you have any tips for uh, leveling up someone remotely? Like obviously doing the mob pair programming, creating an environment that can, mm -hmm. that can level people up. Is there anything that you can think of that was particularly helpful in uh, moving people kind of along in their careers? I think... I mean, you know, again, this kind of, I mean, this sounds a little silly, but one-on-ones, um, I think are kind of the bread and butter of a good sort of mentorship type relationship and, you know, seeking to have one-on-ones that 
certainly, I think there's value in just getting together and talking about whatever, right? Sometimes you just need to do that. But also yeah. making sure that one-on-ones are aligned to things that goals, uh, to objectives. Um, you know, one of the things that like I tried to do a lot of was to just, you know, make that a conversation point, um, you know, to really understand what people were passionate about, where they wanted to go beyond just the, I want to work on this area of the code, you know, because I, I'm a real believer that, you know, if you can build teams, um, that thrive on, on a sort of culture of learning, the, the great software will follow. And so taking the time to let people know that, hey, it's okay. Like, I w- want us to spend time working on a problem that maybe isn't directly connected to getting this new feature over the line, you know, I think is, is important. I don't know if that's a good, good answer or not, but, you know, just I think having a good pulse on where everybody's at um, and where they want to go beyond just the the near term, you know, is important. I think pair programming, um, I haven't really talked much about that, but yeah. I think that pair programming is actually a vital ingredient towards, you know, successful distributed engineering teams. Um, not that you need to pair all the time, um, but that there should be a healthy culture of pairing and there should be a constant improvement of being more deliberate about pair programming. Cause I think that was another thing when I first started pair programming, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, I'll just write code with someone. How hard can that be? Then you realize in retrospect that it's like, oh, well, hey, you know, there's a lot of things that, that go into whether or not I'm contributing towards the maximizing of two people working together mm-hmm. or or taking away from that, um, right. you know? And so I, I think some things there really trying to understand, you know, like your pair schedule and making your schedule evident to them as well. And, and really finding times in the day that, that make sense, you know, to get together, you know, like if, like one of the things that's nice about being remote is that you have a lot more Liberty. So it's like, I can say that, Hey, you know, I, I need to get some things done or I need to pick up the kids or I'm, selling my house and I've got people coming in, you know, to do showings left and right. Right. Um, And it's really nice to have the flexibility to maneuver around those things. But it's, it's important that those things are, are, are surfaced to the people that you're collaborating with. I've paired with people where it's like, you know, someone's working like in a a loud coffee shop and it's miserable. Right. Uh, And I'm the type of person where it's like, as soon as friction starts setting in, it's like my brain comes up with all sorts of excuses for why I should just disengage, you know? I'm off on Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> and then I feel bad about it. And, you know, it's like this vicious cycle. But so I, I think, and, and I, one of the things that I actually ended up doing after, uh, you know, one of my old managers, Nick Means, kind of introduced me to the crispness of a unidirectional microphone. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember when I heard it the first time, I was like, wow, like, <laughs> this is great. Like, I want to sound like this. And, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you've got some people that like, and again, it's just, it's not a, a blame thing, but just a lack of awareness uh, where you're pairing 
using your laptop microphone. And it's like every time you're typing, it's like the other person has to hear that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they're just little things, but I think they're they're the types of little things that can either make the experience successful or not. And I, I want us as a, a community of software developers that believe in distributed work to work to raise these types of best practices to the surface so that we can all kind of stand on each each other's shoulders um, and make it something where it's like when you look at the numbers there's no there's no question like there's value and people having the freedom to work this way yeah absolutely um so you talked a little bit about kind of your schedule and uh making sure that people are depending on you or what you're up to uh what's going on can you take me a little bit, take me through a, a typical workday for you? Uh, what kind of ceremonies and whatnot do you have? Like currently you're, you're at Tuft & Needle right now. Yep. Can you tell me a, a little bit about the process of, of how y'all build software distributed? Sure. Yeah. So we have a pretty lean process. Tuft & Needle was founded by JT Marino, who is an engineer himself. Uh, he worked at uh, Hashrocket. Uh, for quite a while, and uh, then moved out to Silicon Valley before he, um, you know, the the light went off in his head, and, uh, you know, he decided to, uh, with his co-founder, disrupt the mattress industry. And it's a real privilege to work at a company that was founded by someone like that, because Mm -hmm. I, I think that when you have people that don't understand what it's like to be an engineer, to be involved in this sort of creative discipline where it's like, you know, sometimes it works the way you think it will. And, and most times it won't. And sometimes you're on and, and sometimes you just feel like crap. And, you know, it's just like you, you know, you're like spending an hour over something that was like, you know, maybe a, a syntax error, you know, and it's just like, it's hard, I think, for, for people to appreciate what the discipline kind of requires and, and involves. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that, from my perspective, is like, if, if you have makers in your organization, then do everything possible to allow them to channel their time into making things. I, I think that, you know, part of leadership and undergoing a, a sort of consolidation of organizations, you know, there's a lot of meetings because we had to get to know these other people and figure out what this new thing was that we we're going to build that nobody understood, but we had to like have it done, you know, in a year. And it's like, I felt like the pace of, of development was one of the slowest I've ever seen. And I, and I, I, I kept blaming myself, like trying to understand like what I was missing that was resulting in this. And I think a big part of it was just that there were all these meetings that were folks were always getting invited to, Sometimes with very loose, you know, sort of, I guess, guidelines around like, you know, how do you, how do you know when this meeting is over, right? right. Um, and so things would just kind of drag on and on. So, yeah, I mean, the rituals here have been great. My day starts, you know, I have a, a daily stand-up, but it's, you know, short and sweet. And it's right now, I mean, we're... We're of the size where my stand-up, you know, is focused on, you know, the the project that I'm working on. And so the folks that are kind of either stakeholders in that project or working on that project with me show up and we kind of have a talk through, you know, where we are and, and what we, you know, intend to do. And, and then we're off to it. 
So, so that's kind of the, beyond that, we have like a weekly sort of team wide standup that is an opportunity to just kind of level set across the team um, and across work streams. But, you know, beyond that, like those are kind of the two real rituals. You know, we have some mastery meetings that we, we've started. I, I don't want to call them meetings because it's such a dirty word. <laughs> Sessions, I guess. Um, they and, and so we've got one right now that sometimes happens on a, a Tuesday afternoon and then another one that happens on a Thursday for about an hour. But sometimes it goes a little longer than that. And, you know, we'll mob program or someone will prepare, you know, a technical overview or an overview of a part of the domain. We went to RailsConf this past year, uh, you know, we were sponsors. And so that was like one of those sessions where, you know, we all kind of talked about what we took away from it and things that, you know, we want to explore more and so forth. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's really it. We've got certainly just in time sessions that will sometimes happen where they're necessary, but they're, they're really driven by the engineers and like, you know, whether or not folks are feeling blocked or, you know, if we've got what we need and just keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. Do you end up pair programming much? Yeah. I'm pairing a lot these days, which has been nice, but you know, it's not like a hard and fast rule. It really kind of just depends on what the work is and, um, you know, what the capacity looks like from the team. Uh, but, but we try to pair, I, I think that there's, you know, kind of an understanding from, from my leader, uh, that pairing is one of those things that just is really an intrinsic part of building good culture out of a distributed organization. Um, it's a lot harder to do that when you're just hearing about things, you know, in a weekly meeting, you know, that you don't really have any, context around so does the amount of pair programming depend on the person it's a lot of p's in a row yeah are there some people that don't prefer pairing as much and therefore don't how is the dynamic like obviously you talked about certain problem sets are more prone to doing pair programming right is personality also a factor in in it for your organization I think so. I mean, there are definitely front end, for example, tends to not really pair a whole lot that I'm at least aware of. And data, we've got kind of a small data science team. And from what I know, and again, I don't, I could be wrong, but from what I've picked up off of the the surface, it doesn't seem like pairing is, you know, necessarily a part of that discipline either. So yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a mix. So, uh, but I think, you know, the backend Ruby team, by and large, you know, everyone is, is a believer in the value and open to doing it where it makes sense. Nice. I wanted to ask if you had any advice for someone that uh, would like to work remotely, but isn't um, like any advice for finding that first job or those first few weeks kind of on the job, uh, what kind of important things they should be doing? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I'm trying to remember, what is the, is it remotely? No, remotely software is the name of this podcast. <laughs> DHH is uh, job Yes, site. that's yeah. what I'm trying. I forget the name of that off the top of my head. But I'd say that that's a great resource uh, to start with. Um, there's also... The Hacker News jobs posts that come out, you know, monthly, 10, there's someone out there, and, and again, I should probably dig up the URL, so this is a little better prepared, but 
Is there someone out there that built like a searchable kind of facsimile of what ends up getting posted? They probably built some sort of parser or whatever. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's nice because those listings generally tag whether or not they are remote um, or not. And I've definitely seen things on the Hacker News threads that weren't on the 37 signals. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we work remotely. We work remotely. Thank you. Yeah, and, and I think the thing to keep in mind, I think I remember reading this, if I've got this wrong, then my apologies, but I think that we work remotely, there's some sort of like paywall around being able to put listings up there. And yep. uh, so I think that that's as someone that wants to consume a comprehensive list of resources, just something to remember that like, for example, in the past, I've gone on there and found oh, well, here's this, you know, systems reliability engineer uh, position that's open, but I don't want to do that. But then I follow to the the company jobs page and it's like, oh, well, actually they're hiring a Ruby developer and they're hiring a QA person. And it's like, so I guess don't get discouraged. Uh, The other thing that I've, I haven't heard this work yet, but I keep offering it as advice in hopes that maybe, maybe it will is like trust in the skills that you have to offer, uh, believe in, in what you have to bring to the table. If there's a company out there that you're really passionate about working for, or you feel like you're a great fit for, but say they're like, you know, located across the country, send them a message. I, I think that, I think that companies that aren't, you know, thinking about hiring remote, they need people to put the pressure on them to, to have them, enter that into their consideration. Um, right. And, it, you know, it's like one of those things, like if you never ask, then how will you ever know, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think that that's another another one that, that I hope might, you know, yield some some results is just if you're a good fit, if you believe in what you have to offer and there's there's something out there that seems like a good fit for, for what you have, hit them up, start a conversation. Let location be the last thing you talk about. Because honestly... When it comes to like, you know, as someone who did a lot of hiring, hiring is so hard. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I, I would much rather have someone that is the right culture fit for my company than have someone that can, that is like within a 30 mile radius of my office so that they can drive in every day and put their, their butt in a seat. Absolutely. Um, so, so I, I think that we as a community need to, to help put that pressure on organizations to put geography in check. Like it should not be one of the first things that's talked about in interviewing a, a prospective candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of good thought leadership out there around how to build good distributed teams. Um, HBR is talking, I mean, I, I feel like the Harvard business review is talking about remote distributed teams. Like then it's, it's time to like it's join, yeah, it's time to to join, you know, like the the current age and and look at what we can be doing as organizations to better facilitate that method of, of people working for us. So, absolutely, I'm I'm really glad that uh, your answer went in that direction because I I was gonna follow up with asking for advice for an organization thinking about going remote. And particularly, I was thinking about hiring, like through mm-hmm. an, through an interview process. Are there particular things that you tend to look for for finding someone that's going to be able to be successful sure. as a remote employee? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a great thing to touch on. And I think that communication um, is like front and center there. Like you have to be a good communicator. Um, and I'd say part of being a good communicator is having vulnerability, being someone that can talk about things that aren't comfortable, but that are the right things to be talking about. So hell, like let's talk about them. I, I think that empathy is another really important trait because I, I think that it's one of those skills where it's like, if you're going to not have, again, all those things that you get for free when you go into a physical location, then when things get hard or when you're challenged to look at something from a, a viewpoint that is not how you would you know normally approach it, like there, there has to be a a good sense for being able to stop and like think about the other person for a minute um, and think about where they're coming from. Think about what their motivations are really try to feel what that would be like if you were in their shoes. Um, I think Jason Freed put out an article about like something along the lines of like take five minutes or whatever. And it was this idea that like, you know, next time you hear something that like your instinct is to be like, well, that's stupid or that's wrong or, you know, that will never work. Give it five minutes. That's what it was. Give it five minutes. And I think that, you know, somebody that, that has a good patterns around being able to empathize, they're the type of person that can give it five minutes. And I think that those are the types of people, I mean, at the end of the day, like those are the types of people that you want in your organization, period, in my opinion. Right. Um, but I think that they are critical to have those types of people uh, in a remote um, sort of relationship to your organization. Those are things that through, you know, conversation, through um, even through the, the technical screening, you know, sides of things like those should be looked at. Right. Like how, yeah. where is this candidate scoring on the on these types of things, these soft skills? Yeah, I feel like being able to pick up on communication through an interview process is something that is maybe pretty straightforward, right? Like you're you're constantly receiving feedback about about their right. skills there. Right. Do you have thoughts or or ideas around how you feel out empathy for someone? Yeah, that's a that's a good <laughs> question. It's it's not easy. I think the world would be a better place if we <laughs> if we were a little further along on how these things work and how to cultivate them. Let's see. <laughs> how sad does this story make you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, I guess one possibility is to maybe present the candidate with a, a problem that, I don't know, like that is inconvenient um, and just see how they navigate that. Mm. Um, you know, so like maybe have a problem that has some inconvenient constraints and 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 just see like where they take it trying to understand well why you know like why are these constraints part of the thing or you know it, but it's hard i mean interviewing is like a whole whole other kind of nut to crack it's like how do you you know distill into a, a couple hours a decision that's going to have long-term implications um for your team and organization but i, I don't know i mean i i'd say here's here's one thought uh, and i'll take this out of the tough to needle playbook is you know when i interviewed for tough to needle they flew me out to headquarters mm. and 
on the one hand, I, I've worked for companies in the past where, you know, I didn't have that luxury. It's like I did the interview on Skype and, you know, talked with people and did a sort of refactoring exercise on Google Hangout. And I, I got the job and it worked out really well. And it was a great uh, organization um, for me to be a part of for, for quite a while. But I really feel like, and this is coming from the candidate perspective too, having the ability to go out, and, like even if you know that you're going to be remote, mm -hmm. um, getting a sense for who this company is and letting the company get a sense for who you are by spending some real time face-to-face, uh, -face, I mean, those are just always going to deliver insights that are just otherwise very difficult to achieve. And, and I don't want to say that it can't be achieved, but I'm still trying to, you know, make the connections on what the, uh, the optimal sort of solution is uh, for sussing out, you know, yeah. for example, empathy candidate. That's a really great idea. I, I haven't heard about remote companies doing that before. Like, obviously, some companies, like when everyone is completely distributed, it's like, oh, maybe right. in this random city at a coffee shop, <laughs> right. maybe, maybe that doesn't suss it out. Yes, totally. But if you're so sure about this person that you're willing to fly them out to, to do this thing, then it's worth the cost to, it like, is. if it is like a situation like, oh, this would actually be really bad. Like yeah. that, that is a, a really helpful step to, to potentially have. Yeah. Really good advice. Cool. I was wondering if you had any thoughts about uh, what the future of remote work uh, might look like, like as, as we're looking out 10 years kind of in the future, do you have ideas about maybe how technology is going to change and just kind of what, what are your ideas about what working remotely might look like off 10 years in the future? Hmm, that's a really cool question. I, I think, you know, in my old age, I'm, I'm starting to, uh, you know, kind of show some of the these like curmudgeon traits i, um, I need to qualify really quick you say yeah. old age well like, I, I work hey I, i'm 35 so i'm not that old um right. there are probably listeners that might take offense to me um uh, <laughs> clocking that in at, at old age um but you know i mean at, at the same rate you know you've got people on the open source community that are like teenagers right and right. doing amazing things so yeah. It's an interesting industry in that sense, but I guess what I'm saying, what I'm getting at is that uh, I see all this stuff about VR and AR and, you know, and I kind of, there's a part of me that just kind of like, you know, shakes my head because I'm like, you know what, like, I really just kind of like life the way that it comes to me, like, <laughs> and it's a default form, like, I, I don't need extra stuff. Um, but, I mean, if we're talking about a 10-year time scale, like, I have to imagine that the breakthroughs that will likely continue to happen in those domains will touch um, how we work. And I think that there are probably some good good things to come from that, and that maybe those are the tools that can help us better bridge some of the gaps around what is achievable in a a physical environment versus what you kind of have to recreate with these approximations in a digital one. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that that's one thing that comes to mind. I hope one of the other ones that comes to play is just better. I don't know, like sort of computer intelligence around when to plug me in and when to disconnect me. And, and again, that kind of goes back to some of the stuff I talked about with, 
real-time chat, you know, and, and all of these things. It's like, there need to be limits, right? There need to be points in time where I, where like, it's okay. It's time for me to write code now. So like, right. leave me alone. And versus, Oh, like I just shipped that feature and I've got to wait for a build to go out. And I'm kind of like, I'm feeling good. Like I'm going to lay back a little bit and, you know, dip into like what's going on over here, you know? Um, yeah. And so I, I hope, I guess what I'm getting at is just um, tooling that, you know, just kind of helps us achieve those balances better by just working, not requiring, a, like, in, for example, today, it's like I have to go into Slack and do all this configuration half the time <laughs> to, like, get it to, like, leave me alone when I'm done with my workday, you know? And it's like, well, what happens if my workday goes a little bit later? Maybe I don't want to be left alone, but, like... Do I have to be in there pressing buttons in order to make that happen, or right. could a machine just know? Um, so I, I think that that would could be a pretty interesting thing as well, is to just have all these advances in technology work to provide us with more enriching lives um, that aren't exclusively ruled by being in front of a screen. Right. That that's awesome. Anything else? No, I think that this has been great. Uh, lots of awesome questions and uh i've really enjoyed the the chance to talk about all this with you tony awesome thank you so much drew uh yeah lots of great advice during this time thank you so much uh it was really interesting to get uh some of the perspective of how tough to needle works um what y'all are doing over there building that learning culture learning how to manage people remotely like that's that's a big problem and that's kind of a new problem for for yeah. a lot of people so thank you so much uh for all that wisdom. Thanks for hanging out. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's been a great opportunity. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you.